Welcome, everyone, to episode 101 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network, as we embark on the journey of our next 100 episodes. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and this week we'll be diving into the Netflix action fantasy film headlined by Charlize Theron called The Old Guard. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? Are you ready for another 100 episodes? Yeah, I guess, although I have to say the next hundred at this moment in time aren't looking exactly as as rosy or promising as the first hundred were when we we started off uh, two and a half years ago or however long ago it was. Um, But, you know, I I have faith, you know, that there's word out there about a vaccine maybe by the end of the year, maybe by early next year or something. Uh, That's kind of what Dr. Fauci was saying, I think. So I I don't know if, you know, if and when that will happen, but... um, at some point, I have faith in the next 100 episodes, we will be back in theaters at some point. So I guess I guess there is that to look forward to. Uh, hopefully not another two and a half years without ever going back to a movie theater. I just keep thinking about the fact that the last movie I saw in theaters was The Hunt. And if that has to be the last movie I ever see in a theater, then that would be very, very sad. Yeah. The last movie I saw, I, I'm pretty sure that Onward was the last movie I saw in theaters, which isn't really... The worst way to go out of theater. No, that's <laughs> to exactly go out of theaters. Uh, I would really prefer to also be back sometime in the next two and a half years. But I don't know if I share your optimism about how soon we'll be back. I think it'll be a year. I was thinking more I about this actually. World open today. <laughs> yeah, with very strict guidelines and all that is outside for the most part, which yeah. is different than a movie theater, as we've talked about on the on the podcast here before. Whenever we've whenever, whenever like every week when it Just comes make up, all movie theaters drive-ins. I mean, look, I think that if they could do that, they would <laughs> at this point, anything to to get them rolling. But AMC did secure an, a nice healthy line of credit this week to make them fiscally solvent, at least until probably the early part of next year. They they sold Silver Silver Lake, not not Silver Pictures, but Silver Lake, the investment firm, um, some new like senior equity debt shares and have secured some more capital, which will keep them in business for longer because honestly scott we'll probably have a longer conversation about even if movie theaters do reopen in august and tenant comes out i don't know the more i read about the stuff the less the less anxious or uh, the less eager i am to even go back to theaters until something like a vaccine comes out but that's a bigger question that we don't necessarily need to go through on air because we don't have to worry about that right now because movie theaters as we talked about a couple weeks ago aren't opening up next weekend as they had originally planned and instead uh, won't be opening for at least another three or four weeks. And let's be honest, it'll probably be longer than that based on the current state of the U.S. and coronavirus, i.e. there are like 70,000 new cases a day right now. And much to the chagrin of everyone in uh, the administration, I don't think it's just because we're testing more than everyone else. So with that, why don't we go ahead and get to the movie so we don't have to dwell on that any longer. Directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, the old guard quickly introduces its viewers to a foursome of essentially unkillable warriors, Theron's Andromache, or Andy for short, Booker, played by Matthias Schonartz, Joe, played by Marwin Kenzari, uh, he played Jafar in Aladdin, which I did not realize while I was watching the movie until afterwards when I looked it up, and Nikki, played by Luca Marinelli. These centuries, and in Andy's case, millennia-old warriors inexplicably were born with Wolverine-like regenerative abilities and used their vast experiences to help people they view to be in need. When a former CIA operative named Copley, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, hires them to rescue a group of kidnapped children in South Sudan, they can't help but take the mission. But things go horribly wrong when it becomes apparent that their rescue was in fact a trap to prove their superhuman abilities to a mysterious employer with a newly painted target on their back the foursome also discovers that a new immortal niall freeman played by kiki lane has just discovered her own powers and they must recruit her before she is exposed as well niall's recruitment and eluding the forces of copley and his big pharma employer harry melling's stephen merrick who wants andy's group of immortals for the potential of their dna to be used to create an insta-cure drug for any ailment is the balancing act that the old guard aims to execute 
with a potential added bonus of stylized action and kick-ass performances from its cast. Scott, the question is simple. Does the old guard accomplish what it sets out to do, or does its immortality, so to speak, stop working somewhere along the way? Yeah, so this is the second sort of Netflix action blockbuster that we've had here um, over quarantine with with Extraction, of course, being the first. And so uh, the bar wasn't exactly set very high for me going into this one just because Extraction, uh, I mean, you can go back and listen to our episode. I, I was not, not a fan of, of that film. And while I think that this movie is better, I think The Old Guard is certainly an improvement on extraction. I think it is a fairly competently directed movie. I think the action, not not necessarily that it's more exciting than a, than an extraction, but there is less of it. So so like the the problem with extraction, I think, is you were just getting pummeled with action so much, and that's not the case with this movie. There is actually quite a lot of story and character work uh that it that they are trying to to accomplish here in the middle of the movie um and so i, I think i appreciated the action and the choreography more because it was a little more spare um it's also but, more interesting choreography i think but we can get into that later yes and no um but at the same time this movie didn't grab me and i, and I think that it again if movies were, were consistently coming out in theaters and um you know, we were getting our fill of, of you know, the big summer blockbusters and, and all of that that we were supposed to be getting this summer. I don't think people would be making heads or tails about this movie. I don't think it would be getting the kind of reviews that it's getting, to be quite honest. I think that we're just a little starved of movies and of blockbuster movies in general right now. Obviously, you know, th these aren't the type of movies which typically get released to streaming services and like of, of you know, like these, these are the type of movies that we would be seeing in theaters right now if we were back in theaters. So I think people are maybe just hankering for that. And yeah, maybe it, it gets, you know, it fits the bill to some extent, but I think that the script is pretty poor in some places for this movie. I think the performances are, are one note and boring to be, to be quite frank. I, I don't find the characters interesting at all. Um, I think that Charlize Theron, look, we, we, we don't need to talk about how amazing she is as an actress. I don't think she has anything to do here. I don't think she brings anything really to the character. Again, I think she's pretty flat in one note. Um, I, I wasn't in, engaged by any of the performances, to be honest. Um, and I just think that some of the, the plot elements and, and sort of the mythology behind how they are immortal and you know the, the extent of their powers and everything, they kind of just shrug their shoulders, right? Like it, it's kind of just a big, we don't know how this happened. We don't, we can't explain this and that's it. Uh, and I mean like, okay, sure, fine. But like that just, that's not satisfying to me. Like I think there, there's these big mysteries at the heart of the movie of, you know, how did they get their powers? And, you know, we learn later that, that maybe they aren't exactly immortal. And it's kind of like, wait, what the heck? Where did that come from? And they're kind of like, well, we don't really know why this is uh, or, you know, what the boundaries of it are. It just is. And so I, I think the the movie uh, kind of makes up its own rules just to sort of service the plot a little bit as it goes along. Uh, and and that's not something that I feel was, was really strong plotting. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's a little bit of a mixed bag for me, but I, I am coming down more on the negative side and more on the negative side than, than most people are on this movie, I have to say. So again, maybe just this type of movie isn't my movie as we've seen now with Extraction, which also had good reviews, right? And, well, and I think now, I think Extraction had more middling reviews, but- Yeah, but yeah. I, I think it was positive on Rotten Tomatoes, but cool. uh, regardless, uh, maybe these movies aren't aren't just for me, but honestly, I think that, again, these, these are pretty boilerplate, like pretty like, straight you know they, these this is straight to video quality action movies in my opinion maybe a little bit higher here um than you know obviously than extraction maybe a little bit higher than your average like straight to video action movies but it just doesn't compare honestly to uh what we should be seeing in theaters right now to be quite honest with you and so i just was kind of left cold by this one yeah, interesting. I, I mean, I'm a lot. I think it sounds like I'm a lot more positive on the film than you are. I, I do agree that the writing in certain parts, and you know, we didn't, you didn't really go too deep on that. And we can, and I do want to talk a little bit about some of the parts of it that I think are a week later. But yeah, I, I agree. The writing here is probably the weakest part of the film for me, uh, especially in the first half. I was just like, man, this writing could use a lot of work. Um, like it just didn't really feel like 
that I mean, and this was part of your point, I think that that some of these characters were given <laughs> given too much to work with in terms of dialogue and making things interesting. And, and I think that's why it takes a little bit more to get ahead of that curve and, and get you engaged. And I think that the movie for me is a, is effective in doing that in some ways. And I think that you know you talk about I've got you know some flat performance uh, flat performance from Charlie's Theron. I, part of me, and maybe this is just excusing the film a little bit. I don't know. I think you can make arguments either way, but, but it works for me because I think that that's exactly the kind of performance this character is supposed to give. I mean, this, this character has been arrived for lit, uh, literally for millennia. And I think somewhere along the way has kind of lost focus and understanding like the reason that it is that she's doing what she's doing and, and is emotionally flat. Like throughout the entire film, it just feels like a chore for her to keep doing this thing that she's been doing for millennia. And so that like emotionally flat performance for me is like, was like kind of the point. And it takes this, you know, really traumatic event of her entire world kind of that she had just taken for granted to some extent being blown up partway through the movie to actually get a response out of her. You know, something has to change about her, right? Just to go kind of full spoil. I mean, I don't think this is a huge spoiler because, you know, something has to happen like this over the course of the film. And you're alluding to it a little bit with like the immortality maybe gone, but like Charlie's there and becoming mortal, like changes the game a little bit uh, in the movie partway through. And I think that's when you start to get more, a, a different, less one note performance out of her. And I think, again, I think all that's intentional. I do agree that most of the other characters aren't doing too much to keep you like super invested. Like with the exception of Matthias Schoenitz, who I thought was the, was the probably second most interesting character, but besides Andy, his, his booker uh, for reasons we can get into later is, is probably the second most interesting character. And I think that there's a lot of fertile ground for them to work with that going forward, which we'll get to later as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall the writing and the, characters outside of you know maybe the central one two at most three characters here could could definitely have been a lot better and I, and I think where i'm maybe more engaged is on the action side because i i think we both were in agreement that you do get bludgeoned with the action and extraction i mean it is a full assault on the senses like i can't i couldn't even imagine watching that in the movie theater i think i would just be totally like disoriented by how loud the movie would be uh in a movie theater and i think that one thing that that you were speaking to here and that you thought was, a, it sounds like was a positive thing about the movie is that it's a better mix of that and, and, you know, lower key scenes that, you know, may, or, you know, those scenes may or may not work for you. Those lower key ones, the ones that are trying to explore the pat, you know, the, the background of these characters and, and the story that's happening on screen, but uh, it, it does better, I guess, balance things in the film overall. And, and more so than that, for me, because I think that's true, but also I think that this is a better blend of action choreography as well. I mean, one of the things, probably one of my favorite things about this film is the interesting route they go down in the last, you know, third to a couple, you know, a couple scenes to a third of the movie when Charlize Theron is mortal and you have all these action scenes where she's still in them. And then like you have the, you have the choreography around them throwing themselves in front of her, you know, as they, as they each get shot. And I think that there is some cool stuff done with that uh, around the choreography too mix in something a little bit different, something that you haven't seen from these other like heavily stylized action movies, like a John wick, like an extraction, like, you know, anything else that you might throw. I'm sure assassination nation was that way, even though I didn't see it. Um, yeah. Like, like to, yeah. to add it, you know, a slightly different flavor in there for that. And I appreciated them for that. Cause it's, I think it, after a world where John wick really does feel like it's done, it's done almost all, it can, all, all it can in terms of innovative um, action in the style of John wick. Uh, I find it, you know, really impressive when you can innovate on that in a, at least slightly different way. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you the entire two hours is, is completely new and completely fresh, but the fact that they were able to take something for a third of the film and add an interesting element to the choreography they were doing, I thought worked really well for me. And so, you know, with, with that, I think overall I, I am positive on the, on the movie and I will say it's probably one of the more satisfying villain takedowns in a film. Uh, so far this year and an incredibly yeah i do agree with that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the one thing where i was i was watching this film last night and when this happened i was like sitting down because like at that point the action like the heaviest action pieces of the film are done and then there's like this final very brief showdown with the villain which i appreciated that didn't go on for a really long period of time and then that like 15 second span where they're fighting i like I like jumped out of my seat and screamed like how awesome, basically how awesome it was when, when it is finally taken down. Cause it is a really good way to kind of wrap up the climax of the film overall. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. But like that scene, that moment honestly was indicative of what I wanted sort of the, the whole movie to be, which was just more fun, campy over the top, like playing off of, you yeah. know, the fact that they're immortal, right? Like that, that's a fun concept, you know, in theory, I just feel like the movie, 
does not have fun at all. Like this is a grim sort of somber, like, you know, very uh, sulky movie. Like the characters are just kind of moping around for most of the movie. And like to, I'll, I'll wait. That has some of what I want to say about Charlie Theron, but we can go there sure. now if you want. Yeah. yeah that's, the, that's where I was going to go to next. I, and I, and I, this on the sulking point, I think that's, fair i think there's a lot of people sulking i think i mean even though i find booker's character really interesting i think that you know, it's all he does throughout the whole film is he sulks around a little bit but i think he's an interesting character study maybe there to explore that doesn't get fully delved into in this film but before we get into that yeah let's talk about charlie's theron she plays andy or andromache whichever you prefer who is this millennia old uh what, immortal warrior basically who's fought for millennia for what she believes is right and you know, I'm, I'm not going to say Charlie Theron hasn't ever been in an action movie before because she's been in quite a few. But overall, Scott, do you think this is uh, additive to the uh, Charlie's Theron oeuvre or is this uh, one that she'll want to forget? Well, I, I think she'll want to forget it. Honestly, I think she was forgetting it as she was making the movie. Like I, that is kind of the the vibe I got off of this performance. And I don't disagree with you, right, that there are reasons for like the way that she plays the character, uh, mm-hmm. the way that it is, that, that she does. But it's, it's just not fun or engaging to watch or right? like she, she's I guess she's trying to give to some extent she's trying to give sort of the steely like badass like Ryan Gosling type performance uh, like action hero performance and that just doesn't do it for me it, it probably will for some people um, but yes she's she's emotionally flat for a reason because yeah like you've said that these characters have been beaten down over, you know, centuries. Um, and, you know, th- they kind of feel like the job that they're doing now is futile, but that's just not fun to watch. Like it's, you know, I, I, I won't rehash it again, but they're, they're just sitting around talking about how it's all, you know, futile and pointless. And, you know, all that they're doing is kind of for naught. And well, I'm it's like, just her, it's just her saying that, but yeah. 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 But uh, you know, the other characters weren't really that interesting either. Like I said, um, but and so I, I was just kind of sitting there like, look, this is supposed to be like a fun, goofy superhero movie. Like, why why are we going through all this? And I feel like they could have taken it in interesting directions. Like, for example, I wanted to hear more about like I wanted them to kind of connect the fact that these people are so downtrodden, beaten down after, you know, all, all these years of dying and feeling like they haven't really accomplished anything, blah, 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 blah. And the fact that right, that they're trying to monetize this um technology i mean genetic thing uh you know and and spread it to the the greater population and and the idea of hey we can save thousands of people and i wanted them to kind of explore more of like well hey what if they're not actually saving them right like what if they're cursing them to this life of being immortal that obviously has not really worked out for for charlie's there and i mean you know she's again she's as glum as ever um and so I, i think that they could have they flirt with it at times like there's a scene between Matthias Schoenart's character and Kiki Lane's character that I think they're they're kind of getting there. But again, I feel like they never really connected that idea to the fact that, hey, this thing that you think you're doing to save these people, it's maybe it's not actually to save these people, right? Like by the end of the movie, like Charlie Theron's character wants to die. Like she, it seems like she has w- wanted to die for, um, for, for so long. So it's, it is kind of an ironic twist on the whole, we talked about it with extraction, the whole classic egg tropey uh, action hero who, you know, is, has a death wish or whatever. Like he, he does all of this crazy stuff because they have a death wish. So it is kind of an ironic twist on that. Cause here's our, our hero with a de- death wish, but she literally can't die at least for half the movie. But I don't know. It, it didn't have much of a payoff for me. So, so wait, was, is your perspective that, that they want, to make to help make this drug to distribute to people because I mean I didn't think they wanted that at all they didn't they didn't like they were being kidnapped and and being exploited to create this drug by Merrick's corporation I, I didn't see yeah because then but then he wanted to he wanted to like profit off of it through his pharmaceutical company they want to make it into a drug that they think is going to help people and sure. I wanted them to kind of like have more of a conflict with the old guard, right? And the old guard being like, hey, you think you're doing this for for good or whatever. You think you're trying to help people, but you're not, right? Like this is going to doom them to a life that is kind of miserable. Yeah, I think that would have been an interesting route to go down. A wider problem is not just with the villains wanting to make money off of it. It's just that like, 
part of just like the most eye rolly parts of the film for me are just like whenever this Merrick villain just like speaks any words, I'm just mm. like, good lord, just don't. <laughs> because he's so he's so like off with the rest of the movie, right? Like yeah. I feel like he is more on the level maybe that I wanted the whole movie to be on, but it seems so crazy when like everyone else is just again kind of sulking, and he all of a sudden here he is like twirling his mustache and like you know, t talking about his evil plan and, uh, you know, his pharmaceutical company and all this yeah. stuff. It could have worked in a different movie, but it didn't work here. Yeah. My <laughs> one of, one of the lines that I laughed out loud the most of in the movie is when he's talking to, I don't remember. It, I think it's Joe and Nikki when they, when he first kidnaps them, when, um, Chiwetelaj Ejiofor's character Copley, uh, kidnaps them and, and brings them to him and he's like oh my name's steven merrick youngest ceo <laughs> yeah of a farm company i'm just like totally unnecessary and un well, completely unrealistic no, that any person hey, would ever say that very necessary it's some exposition there they got to get it out somehow but yeah no no but, but you already you, i mean they didn't need to get it out because no i mean I, I, yeah. I agree with you i'm just saying that is obviously why they did it it's like you know oh i know it's just like so it, that and just the fact that like i mean he i guess he's like kind of the character if there was one that existed in the world that would say something like that but i'm just like no one talks like that like, there's, no well, there's a lot and there's a lot of moments like that that no one talks like this right like there, some of the lines that stuck out to me like what is it charlie Theron says at one point she's like sometimes you have to work with people you don't want to eat with and then uh at when another was that? point i don't remember that it's when they're on the plane with the drug runner or whatever but um oh i like that scene i i i, I do that remember that was fine, but, but but and then later the one another one they got was like matthias Schoenarts when he says um to to kiki lane he's like talking about charlie's theron's character and he's like uh, she's forgotten more ways to kill than most people have learned in their lives. And I was the like, whole, no, 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 that whole that armies mean? have learned. The But the worst maybe was the, the monologue that one of uh, Joe or Nikki, I can't remember one of them has inside yeah. the truck, right? When they're, when he cut, when he, there's like the, the homophobic guy or whatever, who yeah. says like, this is your boyfriend or whatever. And it was I, Joe. Like, no, I this, cannot yeah. believe that that like made it in the script, honestly, what, what he then says, like it was yeah. the easiest thing that I've ever seen. Um, and like, it's, it's played straight up too. Like it, you're not supposed to be laughing at it. Um, and, and I was like, that's, hey, that's like, Jafar for you. He's come a lot in a, in a few hundred years. That was first draft material right there in my opinion. But, um, yeah, so so some definite script issues here, I guess. Getting getting away from the point, maybe, but uh, yeah. I think that we were that, talking about Charlize Theron at some point. <laughs> it is very cliche uh, in a lot of moments. Yeah, well, the good news is now we can check off the script off off my list of things to talk about for later because we've done it now. But yeah, I guess going back to Char Charlize Theron, look, I think the performance does work for me. It's definitely not her most exciting performance. Like, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is going to be in any sort of like conversation for awards uh, at the end of the year because you're right. Like. I think that there are certain elements of the character and certain the way that it is required to be performed that don't really excite you about getting to watch more of this character. But I think over the course of the film that there's enough work done that I think makes it interesting enough because I don't view the character as completely one note for the entire film. I think there is a little bit of complexity uh, introduced toward the end around it. Like, does she want to die? I mean, like, yeah, part of her does. But now it's this weird conflict between one kind of wanting to die uh, you mean you have you have her like retelling all these stories of you know literal lifetimes ago when she and this I guess her one of her former uh, faction members Quinn or whatever is you know they're fighting together and there's a, a whole backstory that I mean look I mean I don't know it doesn't really matter spoilers or not but like the end of the film like sets up sets up the sequel to to be like the real movie right like this is just some sort of prequel for it was annoying but yeah, it, it, the the sequel setup was annoying but I will say that. I mean, I like that they, you know, made an attempt to give her uh, something of a backstory and, you know, kind of did keep coming back to it in the movie. It wasn't like an extraction, right, where you basically just have like the one scene of Chris Hemsworth talking about his son dying or whatever. Oh, yeah. And that was like that was the extent of it. So, I mean, that, there's right. There is more attempt at character work here, which I did. Appreciate. Yeah. And, and I think that those that attempt for me lands because I think that it, the when you get this mortality, this this mortality introduction at the end of the film, when she's no longer unkillable. Right. I think that it asks this question of like, well, she's telling all these stories like she wants to die, right? She's living recklessly. Like, obviously, I mean, none of these people care about getting shot because they regenerate. It's not a big deal. But now that she's mortal, even though it seems like before this, she wants to die. It also seems like she has this new reason to live with Kiki Lane's character. And it feels like a sort of spirit that she introduces back into Andy that she's maybe lacked for 
maybe many, many years at this point, which obviously you don't really get to see fully in the, in the film, but I think you get a sense of that. So I, I think the work there uh, does accomplish something for me. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you the movie is like super emotional, but I think that the emotional journey that you see Charlize Theron have to internally struggle with. Um, and again, this isn't the, this isn't the major focus of the film, but I think that you do get to see a little bit of it, uh, enough of a journey there for me that makes this character work and makes this performance work. So moving on to other characters, I have Kiki Lane written down as like, I don't know, the, the main supporting role, although I really think the more that I think about it, just about everyone has about the same level of role here. So Scott, I'll just let you take your pick. Is there anyone else in the supporting cast that is, stands out in a way that is worth mentioning for you or anyone in particular? Maybe, maybe the other spectrum st- sticks out in a good or a bad way that you want to talk about. And there's quite a few members of the supporting cast. I mean, like, you know, when you see somebody like Chiwetel Ejiofor showing up, like you're expecting like a, you know, an A-grade top-level performance. I mean, this is an Oscar-quality actor here you're talking about. And his character is just nothing. Like, it it, it really is. And, and in fact, again, to skip back ahead to the, the sequel setup at the end of the movie, which I really did not like. And another thing that I did not like about it is that, like, he just shows up at the end and is like, hey, you, you guys think you haven't helped anybody, but look at this. Here's some pictures you actually have. And that and like Charlize Theron and the rest of them, or I mean, in particular, Charlize Theron, who's spent like, you know, centuries again, feeling like she hasn't helped anyone or all this stuff is like, okay, let's get to work. And like that, there we go. Like we're, we're set up for the sequel now. And then of course we get the like little credits moment there, which is really the setup for the sequel. But I was like, really, that's all it took, right? Like all it took was this guy showing up and being like, Hey, here's some examples of people that you actually have helped and their descendants and everything. And I was just like, I don't, this seems too quick of a shift, but anyway, his performance was, you know, again, pr- pretty flat. I think there, there's, there's not much to the character. I mean, he's supposed to be kind of playing. Well, there's literally both. nothing to that character at he's all. He's trying. But. He's supposed to be playing both sides. But Matthias Schoenarts is an interesting actor, but again, um, I don't think that the twist with his character hit the way that it was supposed to. Uh, for me, at least, I, I like. I, I wasn't like, oh my god, what? Like when it happened, I, uh, I was. Just, I was just like, okay, sure. Um, and Kiki Lane, I think, tries to bring a little bit of personality just because she is like the outsider, right? She's the person who hasn't had to, you know, experience all of what they have. Um, but I don't know. I just I, I never I, they, I feel like they were close to having a spark with their character. Like, again, another direction I would have liked to see them go down is this whole thing with like her and her family. right? And this, this idea she had again, she has the scene with Matthias Schoenarts and he's saying like, look, Here's, here's what you're going to have to reckon with, right? You're going to have to watch, like, the people you love grow old and die, and then you're going to have to do it again, right? Like, this is, you know, you're, you're going to experience more tragedy and all of this stuff than anyone has to experience. And I was like, yes, that's interesting to me. Like, let's talk about some of the downsides of being immortal and all of this stuff. And then, you know, that gets to her, and she's like, hey, I actually don't think I can do this because of my family and everything. And then it just, like, that. there's no payoff to it. She, she like, kind of decides... Hey, I, I don't know if I can do this. But then, you know, because of she comes to a realization about something, she goes back, and and I mean, that's that's the end of it, right? Like she, we don't really ever see her grapple with that again for the rest of the movie. Um, and so I, I think we could have seen. Well, you get it at the end. You have the whole scene at the end. Yeah, but I I don't know. I feel like her. She could have been given more to do. Her character could have been the spark that she is flirting with at times, if they had gone fully down that path, which I would have yeah. liked to like maybe yeah. a scene with her family, right? Like, yeah, maybe I, I, the thing is with a lot, and this isn't, this isn't, this really isn't meant to excuse the movie, but I think a lot of this is like, there's so much stuff there. And this is true with any movie. I mean, even talk about John wick, right? Like the first John wick movie where it's trying to set up a world, right. And it has like all these potentials that in a, in an in like a, an establishing movie where you're trying to set up a universe because I mean obviously this movie is so badly trying to set up a franchise and we'll I'll save some time at the end and we can talk about whether or not we think that's a good or a bad idea but with that and, and with something like John Wick where you could argue it was also trying to set up a franchise maybe less less so less obviously so with uh with the way that movie was was wrapped up and that it, it probably could have been a standalone movie but I think for, for me one of the things it's always hard about these first films and I mean I, I think that as much as I liked John Wick three like. I don't know. I thought John McQuinn was fine. Like I thought it was a, about this level of movie or maybe even a little bit less to be, to be frank uh, on my first watch. And the, I think the reason for that is, is that like 
you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't in a, on like a lot of different things in a movie where you're trying to establish enough interest in a world or in characters that like you want these questions to be answered. But you really just can't do that because all of a sudden you have like a three hour movie because you, you want to introduce all these characters, dive into their backstories and also have the key story of the film. And again, like this isn't an excuse for, for this film because I think that it, it like I think all of that you're saying is that, oh, I wanted it to do this. Oh, I wanted to do this. I think those are all like really valid things because it leaves you one of these things and, and the stuff that or, and, and the point that it gets to along those arcs like isn't satisfying enough. And I think that that's understandable and fine. It's just I do think that these movies like you can't like you can't have this film be three hours long. Right, like you just can't like <laughs> that'd be horrible. It's That'd already be... too long. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Although I think for me, it actually it actually went along a lot faster than I was like. I saw the runtime. I was like, oh, two hours, really? Why is the movie this long? Um, but it, I mean, it worked for me. Okay, but long. you even you even sent multiple sessions to it. So it should it should have been even better than for you than it was for me. But it wasn't, I guess. Should have. Yeah, but for me, I'm saying all, I, I guess all that's to say is that like this, it feels. I know we're jumping way ahead of the conversation here, probably, but it feels like all right. There's enough world and there's enough interesting points that it can explore in the future. That like if it actually does it and explores the world further, explores this whole like why are they immortal? Why are they all of a sudden not immortal? Why like all those things? And it seems like with, especially with the stuff that they're doing, that it can do that. And this is these are all huge ifs, right? Like I'm not even saying this is a good idea or not. It's just like it has. I think it. I think it did a good enough job for me establishing all those things. Where this, it has the potential to be really good and move, moving forward. And I hear the complaints that you're saying. And as much as I, I mean, I agree with some of them. I like some of them don't resonate as much with me because I think I found some brighter spots to latch onto that that you just didn't find in the film for you. But for me, I'm wondering like doing all these suggestions like. Yes, I think it would have it would have made felt the, like the movie might have felt more complete or more narratively interesting. But like at what cost? Like at what cost? Like a, like a two and a half hour well, film that you want to like tear your eyeballs out at or like, like I, get what you're, doing I get what you're saying. But I think like if their plan is, hey, we're going to make uh, sequels and answer some of these questions in future mm -hmm. movies, you got to make me care enough in the first movie to like actually want to watch the sequels to get to the bottom sure. of those things. Yeah. And I don't think they did that. I don't think they offered enough answers or even clues to like answers of like the big whys of the movie, right? Like the big whys being like, why are they immortal in the first place? And number two, why is it that they can't actually die? Like what, when in someone's life can they actually die? Cause, cause there's this whole thing where like they tell the story about the guy who actually died or whatever. And that's yeah. the revelation that, Hey, th these people can actually die. And Kiki Lane's like, well, Hey, you shot me, Charlize there. And like, I could have died right there. And they're like, no, 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 you're too new. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I thought you just said, you don't know why, like what, wh wh who's to say that she is like too new to like to die. If you don't understand why it is that someone, one of these people actually dies, then I don't get why you're now saying, Oh no, that's it's fine. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be the one to die. Like I, I don't, I don't yeah, see I, where they're getting that from. Yeah, I mean, presumably it's just like after after you reach a certain age, it no longer works for you, but no one's really sure what that age is. But they or, don't even say that. They're just what, literally sure. she's like, Well, why can they die or whatever? And they're just like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. I, I didn't really have that much of a problem with that, and but like, I think Yeah, sorry. Again, I just want like some clues. Like, yeah. It, Tease me a little bit, like to be like, hey, like we're here's here's a little like, you know, niblet of where we're going, but we're not going to get there until you know, movie two, movie three, if that's what they're going for. But I mean, I aren't the clues just that you get really old? Like, isn't that the clue, right? The person that that died and that they were the telling the story about was older than Charlie's Theron's character, and she's the oldest one now. Isn't that the clue? I guess, but like that's first of all, that's not really an interesting reason, and second of all, like. I don't get why they like pretend like they don't know. And, but then they act, maybe they actually do know that it's just, you're getting too old. Like it's yeah. just weird. I think that they don't know, but they maybe presume that, but that again, that's maybe, uh, it, maybe it's not interesting. I don't know. Life's not interesting sometimes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that it's all, all that's to say that I think that, I mean, I, look, I didn't, I didn't think John wick was a particularly engaging or interesting character to get you hooked for another one. But uh, like, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I didn't think so really either until the third one. Right. And then I think that it builds on over time. And I think that not to compare the two films too much, but I do think that you may be in a little bit of minority there with like how interesting you find these characters with, because it seems like a lot of people, I mean, maybe it's, it's for reasons that are starved of content or not, like regardless of the reason, it seems like a lot more people are, uh, or at least there are plenty of people out there who are being, who are feeling engaged with these characters or interested in these characters and uh, might be, might be worth the sequel. I don't know. But 
That's bold least for them. There's plenty of people who love Man of Steel too. So <laughs> that's true. Although I think that movie was a little bit more roundly criticized. I mean, I don't know about roundly, but again, more mixed reviews probably for that film. Yeah, but but both boring slogs of a movie, I guess for me at least, where is is my uh, comparison point? It's hard. It's hard to make superheroes interesting sometimes. Mm. Yes and no. I mean, Marvel's made 22 movies and none of them have really bored me, but MCU has. I think you can find a, a couple sulky heroes uh, in the MCU, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you, you what you said about the supporting characters. Just to go back to that point, I think yeah, like again, it feels like a lot of a lot of setup for another film, right? It's like a lot of establishing some of these characters for better or for worse. I think that you know maybe Joe and Nikki are like a a, a nice like peripheral couple that you can latch on to that is like oh that's cool that there's you know these these two people who i mean you think about it right like it seems like most of this group is is gay i mean you have joe and nikki and then like i think there's hints that andy is uh, like had had some sort of relationship with 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 quinn but i think that's a little bit ambiguous uh, yeah I, but i don't know though because then there's the part where they're talking about this the rodan statue or whatever and and uh, and Matt, Matthias Schoenarts makes the joke about like, oh, I, I think she actually knew Rodan in the biblical sense or whatever. So, oh, that's true. Like, implying that she like oh, slept bisexual. Her. I mean, yeah. So that so that could be it too. But she yeah, doesn't discriminate by gender. There's there's some things going on, but the writing is is not maybe strong enough to justify them. Uh, like yeah. I like I mentioned in the in the truck scene, I think that uh, that, that was kind of a yikes. Yeah, again, I, I don't disagree with you about the writing portion. I think if they if they are going to come back and make another movie, then that it probably needs to get shored up a little bit. Just find I don't even I don't actually know who wrote this film. I I assume it wasn't Gina Prince Bythewood, but um, Greg Rucka never heard of him. Maybe the person who did the graphic novel, right? Because isn't this based off a graphic novel? Yeah, maybe. I, actually, I guess now that you say that, I think it, it is based off a graphic novel. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's based off the old. Yeah, so it is the guy. It's the guy who wrote the graphic novel, mm-hmm. Greg Rucka. Yeah, I think that they uh, might get him maybe a co-writer for the next one to to help him out with that, or or maybe I mean I doubt they'd replace him entirely. It just doesn't seem like the right thing to do there. But um, getting getting someone else to help out and maybe uh, I mean that Netflix has a lot of this problem, right? Like they're just not not producing like their producing ability is maybe not as strong as some other studios. They don't uh, really supervise for better and for worse, right? Like I mean, so many so many Netflix movies get made and are interesting because basically Netflix is just like just do whatever you want, just go go for it. Um, and I think in some ways that's really cool. And in some ways, I think sometimes you get, you pay the price for that, uh, on the back end for movies with a lot of potential that don't always necessarily live up to it. Uh, anyway, I think that, yeah, these, some of these characters are interesting peripheral characters in theory, but in practice don't necessarily always make it all the way there. And, uh, is even if I don't necessarily, uh, again, wouldn't necessarily like complain as much maybe as you have about some of these characters, I don't think that they are. Like, look, like if Charlize Theron isn't in the sequel, I probably won't watch it. Like, it's just the bottom line. Like, it's not like there's any characters who are jumping off the screen and like, oh, man, I, it doesn't matter actually who's in this, who else is in this film. I'm going to come back for these guys. And I mean, they definitely want her to be based on the way the ending goes. But whether she wants to be, I think, will be the ultimate question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think she does. I mean, has she done too many movies with sequels in it in general? I don't think so. But there might be one or two. She did The Fate of the Furious, but obviously she wasn't in the first seven. So. <laughs> Right, and I guess she's and she is. Con- is she confirmed to be coming back for the next one? Fast for F nine. I think she is. Right, I think, I think she's so. coming back. Yeah, I think both she and Helen Mirren are coming back for that one. I don't know. Um, I'm I'm fuzzy on that one, but I think that's right. So yeah, we'll see if she comes back for the next one or not. But anyway, going on to the plot. I mean, I think we've talked actually a lot about the points that I wanted to hit. I mean, we talked about the script. I think we've talked a little bit about the villain problem. We've talked about the, or at least you talked about how the you know the the plot twist with Booker actually being the one who sold them out this whole time to Copley and to Merrick. Uh, we've kind of talked about that a little bit for me. I think that was a, that was more interesting for me than it was for you. I didn't totally see that coming. Although I don't think they really did too much with that after that. Like, I mean, he still sticks with them and helps them and rescues the, and, you know, helps them escape the facility and then they exile him at the end of the film. But I don't know if they make too much of that plot. Like that plot twist isn't really like capitalized on, uh, in any like really significantly interesting way. Um, but yeah, I think the couple things left then would be talking more explicitly about the action scenes and choreography. I, I think I talked a little bit about them earlier on uh, to you. It seems like, you know, it wasn't, wasn't as engaging or as interesting. Maybe for me, I found it more so at least some of the, in, in some of the ways that they decided to 
try to mix things up, especially in the, in the second half. But want to talk any more about your thoughts on the action scenes and any choreography? I mean, I, I did like it. I, I think that, that it, this is the strongest element of the movie by far um, is, yeah. is the action and choreography. Uh, again, I think like, yes, they do, they do a few different things from extraction, right? Cause they're having a little bit of fun with the idea that, you know, these people are immortal and, but also, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, right. When Charlie's there and then becomes mortal, there are ways to protect her and stuff like that by throwing their bodies in the way like that. That's, more interesting but again it's just the better balance of story and action i think that that worked for me here and um you know the the choreography is is similar to what you would see in like a a john wick uh but i like more hand-to-hand combat than than extraction and i like that there's a team element to it as well because you don't get a lot of that in john wick obviously because he's kind of a one-man army um but here you know they're you know setting each other up for for kills and throwing weapons around and stuff like that. And I mean, that that's, that's fun to watch. Even if, you know, some of it does uh, tend towards the more generic, like close range gun combat at times and stuff like that. I think there's enough creativity there. Um, And again, you're not, you're not bludgeoned with it uh, to where I, I was engaged by the action. And uh, I, I did feel like the, the action scenes were, were the one, uh, you know, time when the movie really, showed that it had a little bit of personality, particularly at the end with the villain kill, right? Like that's, yeah. that's what I wanted from the whole movie. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to have that for an entire, you know, 90, let alone 120 minutes, but yeah. Well, I mean, why don't we talk about that? Right. The, the villain kill where at, at the end, it's this sort of like standoff between, you know, this character Merrick who, you know, is aware that Charlie's Theron is mortal at this point, obviously, because uh, he's brought it. He, you know, he brought her into the lab and knows this. And so, you know, threatening to kill her, you have Kiki Lane's Niall, Niall right there with her. And, you know, they allude to this scene on the plane earlier on in the movie about, you think he speaks Russian. Um, and basically you have this, you know, moment where essentially Kiki Lane takes, takes the bullet and then Charlie's Theron kicks him towards the edge uh, hits him with the poleaxe, and Kiki Lane and him jump off the building together. Uh, obviously, Kiki Lane's going to be okay when she hits the ground, but he uh, definitely not okay when he hits the ground. He's uh, you know all in the, all in a car, and that's that. Yeah, and, and I feel like when I first heard about this movie, I was like, "Where's the suspense going to be in these action scenes, right? If these people can't even die?" And and obviously that is undone with Charlize's character, but I feel like they're kind of like acknowledging that here at the end. They're like, "Hey, like." we're not going to have some big drawn you know, long drawn out fight with the final villain. Right. Because like at the end of the day, he can die and they can't. So like it, it, there wouldn't be much suspense. I feel like to that final fight sequence again, maybe with Char, if Charlize's character is involved because she can die. But uh, so we're just going to like, we're not going to drag this out. We're just going to have her u- literally use her powers. Right. Cause I think like common sense says, Hey, if you're immortal, just do something that is going to kill both of you. But obviously yeah. you won't die and, and he will. And, you know, jumping out of a building, crashing into the car, that works. Uh, and so I, I like that they, again, they didn't have some long boss battle at the end. It was just yeah. like, bang, the end. Everyone goes home happy. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that as well. And I appreciate, I think, a lot of the action choreography, because I did, I do think one of the things that, and that you mentioned this in our extraction review, is just like the, you know, watching someone like play Call of Duty element of just going through a city you know, and just shooting it, shoot, basically just shooting everyone who moves in front of you uh, isn't as interesting as, you know, the John Wick style of a lot of it's hand to hand, but then you also have some gun combat that's, you know, very stylized, very choreographed. And I think that you get a mix of that here as well. Um, I mean, obviously, you have scenes, kind of the first scene when they're in South Sudan taking out these people, like you have some gun combat, you know, in that moment. And then, then you have it mixed in together with a lot of close, you know, close quarters combat some of that's hand-to-hand some of that's with guns uh and then of course you also have charlie's throne with a poleaxe and like the church and a sword in the church and and so you get this nice mixture of everything and i don't know about you scott but charlie's throne can hit me with a poleaxe anytime she'd like i uh i figured you would say that <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean I, I did say it my i definitely have my list of people who who i would say that about as well Who's top of your list? Is it well, I, was gonna, I was gonna say when we get to uh to the Furiosa movie, maybe I'll be saying Anya Taylor Joy can can hit me with a poleaxe anytime. That's true. Yeah, I mean that's fair. 
anyway, let's stop being creepy now and move on. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, all right. I think that I think we're probably good there. I don't know if we need to talk too much more. Do you want? To, I mean, we can talk about the finale, the kind of like post climax of the movie where they do they do exile Booker, and then you know it seems like all all the movie's over. And to me, honestly, I will say this is that I really thought that what they were aiming for is like some like spinoff TV show when you like you have this whole thing with with Andy and uh, Copley at the end where they're like, oh, let's start saving people. I just I'm just like expecting them. All right. What they're really doing is they're just setting up this like TV show that they're going to do that obviously is not going to have Charlize Theron and like that. They're going to they're going to the TV show. But then, no, what they're really doing is they are setting up a sequel to the movie because after that, in either in the middle of the credits or right before the credits, they have this they have this additional scene with Booker. And this character and Quinn, who they had been talking about earlier in the movie being Charlize Theron, is that she was essentially buried alive uh, in the ocean and has been repeatedly dying and being and drowning again, you know, reviving, drowning again, you know, reviving, drowning again over and over and over for hundreds and hundreds of years now. But apparently she found some way out of this cop, this like, you know, underwater coffin that she's in. She's alive and she's met up, you know, she's basically broken into Booker's place and it seems like she's going to be the villain of the next film. Yeah. I mean, look, I think I've kind of said my thoughts. I thought that that was a little shameless, but also I was bothered by the whole thing with Copley and, and the way that they change, at least Charlize changes her tenor so quickly. I feel like upon hearing that, Hey, you've actually like had some positive impact or whatever. Like, even though she's been like in her feelings for hundreds of years about the fact that they haven't really accomplished anything and it takes, just a few minutes and you know this wall of po- photos and documents or whatever that that copley has for her to be like okay cool let's get back to work yeah i i didn't read it that way i'll be honest i read i read a slightly different way that again everything going on with this kiki line with kiki lane's character and kind of giving feeling like she has a new reason to keep fighting and keep doing the things that she's doing and they're really coming to copley to you know essentially make make him you know pay his due for the part that he played and everything and i think that basically that scene rather than giving Charlie's Theron a reason and her character, Andy to care again and to fight again. I view that more as like basically that him convincing them that, you know, don't, don't kill me. I can, I can, I can be like your man in the chair or whatever and help direct you on, on mission. So I think I read that scene in a slightly different way. And if they'd intended it the way that you're describing, then yeah, I mean, obviously that's a little bit <laughs> some I mean, writer shortcut. I just didn't get enough out of the relationship for Charlie between Charlie's and Kiki Lane's character for me to be like, Hey, this is the reason that she's going to fight again. Like, yeah. I, I didn't get that. I didn't get what the connection there was. But yeah, you yeah. may be right. Yeah, um, and look, the movie should probably do a better job making that clear to its audience rather than leaving you to make inferences in some ways. But that is neither here nor there, Scott. I I think really overall, I don't know if I really have too much else. I mean, it sounds like you're not that interested in it being a franchise setup. I'm more on the middle ground like all right if they do then if they do the next movie well if they really capitalize on the things that they you know laid the seeds for then they could make something really interesting in the sequel but uh, we'll see if it gets the john wick treatment and you know, creates you know sequels plural that end up being more interesting than the original even though i had a good time with this film i won't lie like i had a i had a pretty good time with this film. well what's your favorite scene or moment from the old guard uh, well, I guess I've said it right. It's I guess it's the the kill of the the big boss at the end of, of Merrick. Uh, I think that, that it's the the moment where the movie most uh, you know gets at what the type of tone and feel that I really wanted from the whole thing. Um, and I did like the scene as well with Matthias Schoenarts and Kiki Lane, sort of a more serious scene talking about sort of the implications of this immortality. Again, some interesting ideas there that they. They don't follow through on in this movie, maybe because they want to follow through on them in a in a future movie. I just don't care enough to watch a future movie. So, but that's a good scene. All right, and for me, I'll, to be there, I mean, I, you look. I would, I would also say the the final climactic scene where they do kill Merrick. But I think to be different, I'll talk about the plane scene because we didn't talk about it too much. That I really enjoy that you know early early fight hand to hand fight scene between Charlie's Theron and Kiki Lennon, and in particular the fact that. Charlie's Theron just completely downs an entire bottle of vodka right before this fight. So, you know, why not? Why not have a little bit of fun? I guess when you uh, get drunk on a plane, on a plane being flown by a drug, like a drug runner and fight this new person you just recruited and both of you are immortal. Why not? Yeah. All right, Scott, out of 10, what are you giving the old guard? 4.6. Didn't, didn't much care for it, Scott. Um, And 
I don't think they did enough to to get me to to watch the sequel that they obviously want to make. Again, don't know if it will get made. Um, so you can do better as far as movies that are out there, and uh, it is better than extra- Extraction, though. Yeah, for me, I'm. I mean, I think it won't come as a surprise to anyone that I'm going to be pretty pretty much higher than you. Uh, several several points higher than you actually, and I'm going to go with a seven point four. Very enjoyable film for me. So overall. It's a bit of a mixed bag. I think that I think Scott's raising some interesting and valid critiques of the film, but uh, for what it's worth, I think a lot of the critical consensus is, is maybe not quite as positive as me, but also more positive on the movie somewhere in the middle, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm playing the Grouch this year. I'll fully admit, like the there's this movie, there's Extraction, there's the Lovebirds, right? Like those are uh, all off the top of my head. These are movies that are like freshly reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes and honestly didn't like any of them that much at all um so i don't know Uh, sorry everyone i I guess i just expect more from my quarantine content if it's not a female driven period piece scott's not interested in it yeah yeah no no comeback from there all right we'll move on all right well that should do it for our discussion of the old guard let's take a short break and when we return we'll be talking about two female driven period i'm kidding uh we'll be talking about some recent news in the world of film uh we'll be right back Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As teased before the break, we do have some news. It feels like there's actually quite a bit of news coming out these days. Not quite a return to normal, but there is quite a bit of breaking stuff. And Scott, a story that we've been following for a couple, I don't know, a couple months, a month. I don't know how long it's been going on for. Is uh, this this new Universal Monsters movie called Wolfman that well, the original news was what Ryan Gosling is going to be starring in, in the film. It didn't really have a director yet. Didn't really know too much more about it, Scott. But we got some more news about it this week why don't you tell us about it yeah so the the big news from the wolfman uh now is that lee one l is going to be directing this film he of course just directed the invisible man uh for for universal that was a huge box office success again as as we talked about it kind of kick-started them into they want they want to get back into making these monster movies with the you know universal monster properties that they own not necessarily that it's going to be a whole universe thing right because obviously they tried that before didn't work at all they only got one movie into it and then had to abandon abandon it um but you know again not ruling that out of course if if the movies continue to have success then I, I'm sure that's something they will consider. But for now, uh, you know, they're going with Lee Wan L again. I imagine he probably got a nice, uh, nice paycheck for this one after, or he will be getting nice paychecks for this one after the the success that Invisible Man had for for Universal. And uh, yeah, I think this is a smart move, right? Like he was able to bring something new to Invisible Man, right? Like he he turned it into this really interesting sort of uh, metaphor about uh, you know domestic abuse uh, that I thought was you know, worked, worked really well and added new layers to the story and gave me something to hold on to uh, when like monster movies aren't generally like my thing. Um, and, and so I'm optimistic that he can do the same, even if he does have an actor that I'm not a huge fan of here and Ryan Gosling, uh, who's going to be playing the Wolfman. Like, like I wrote in the newsletter this week, I think, I think you're going to see like the most blank slate Wolfman you've ever seen before. Cause that's, that's kind of what Ryan Gosling does. But um Again, Lee Wan L has proven himself now um, with with what he's done with uh, with Invisible Man and Upgrade, which I understand is, is supposed to be really good as well. I haven't I haven't seen that one, um, but uh, I know there's a lot of people who are fans of it out there. So I think this makes sense. Uh, and whenever we get this movie, uh, I'm I'm excited to see it. Yeah, because the news also being that along with Lee Winnell, Blumhouse is also going to be producing this film. Look, I don't know why Universal hasn't just bought Blumhouse at this point. Like they should, yeah. I know they have a first look deal with them, but this really, like, I don't know if they, I mean, I know the people at Universal like want to create a cinematic universe that they can like sink their, you know, teeth into really and, and have some success a la the MCU. But look, like if they want to do that, just buy Blumhouse and have them make it for you. Like just, just do it. Like, if that's what you want so badly. They don't want like Fantasy Island and Truth or Dare under their <laughs> moniker, I guess, is the problem. Well, I mean, that's the thing about buying Blumhouse is that then you don't make you don't have to make those movies. Yeah. You can just tell yeah. them not to make those movies and invest yeah. resources where you don't make bad movies anymore, Jason. <laughs> no, 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 Jason. Don't do that. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I think this is this is good. This is a good bit of news for this movie. I, I'm more positive on Ryan Gosling than you are probably in general, but I do think I, that... I have really good movies, so don't get me wrong. It's just he, he's never really the best thing about them for me. Yeah, fair enough. I think that uh, the wolf... I don't know much about the Wolfman. I've definitely never read the underlying story material there uh, for it, but I don't know. I could see Ryan Gosling doing it. I, I do think that at some point in his career, he's probably going to have to like do a little bit more with his performances than the same site. Cause I think that in some movies it works really like, well, and I think his performance works really well. It doesn't feel like an empty character. Um, but I think that's because the story is really written around that type of performance. And then there's other movies that feel like it just needed a little bit more that he hasn't always delivered for whether that's, you know, his choice, or whether the, the director is trying, you know, wanting that performance out of him. So, something just doesn't always seem to align in, in some of those movies to your point. But I think overall, like I could see it working really well. And I think that, with Lee Winnell directing and with, you know, the producers over at Blumhouse being like the ones responsible for producing this film. I think they have a pretty proven track record with monster movies that they're doing a pretty good job with them. And the invisible man is the, probably the, the first and foremost among those. It's just why I was kind of shocked when this was originally announced and it didn't have Blumhouse attached to it. I was just really, really surprised by that. So the fact that they're attached now doesn't surprise me one bit. Um, I wonder if they maybe weren't attached to just because they wanted, they probably wanted a bigger cut of the film overall uh, just because they know, how good they are producing these sort of low budget horror movies where you don't have to make a $200 million to, to consider the film a success. Really. If you make 20 or 30, which I think is about what the invisible man did, right? That's, that's considered a success for them. So it's really all about the budget and, and them able to be producing something really meaningful. And that really impacts people and people want to go see without breaking the bank. And they're one of the best at it. Yeah. And I mean, you're seeing, they can get progressively bigger stars now because of something like the, the Invisible Man, right? Like, I mean, Ryan Gosling is the type of guy who puts butts in seats. Elizabeth Moss, obviously, uh, is, she's getting there. is great. And yeah, yeah. And, and she's made a lot of good movies recently, but most of them are our indie movies, right? They're, again, she's not, uh, she's probably not quite there uh, at the, of the point of being an A-list putting butts, butts in seats yet. Um, yeah. But Ryan Gosling is, so that will be interesting to see. Yeah, it will be. I mean, it feels like one of those films too, where like, I mean, it's Ryan Gosling that wanted to make, like, wanted to make this movie happen. Like, it sounds like he's the one who came to Universal and was like, "Here, I want to make this movie." I think he even had like either I don't think he personally had written the script, but I think he came to them with a story treatment. And now Lee Winnell and I think his usual collaborators are going to be the ones who are actually writing a full script for this thing. But I think Ryan Gosling might be the one who's making this movie happen, and I think it's good. And I think, imagine that it's needed that someone like you know Lee Winnell and Blumhouse. Uh, together are coming on coming on board with this and making this film that Gosling wants to make a reality. And that's all just to say, I don't I don't think that Blumhouse would normally work with someone like a Ryan Gosling. It's almost Ryan Gosling coming to them and wanting to work with them. That's really is what's catalyzing this relationship. It feels like. Yeah, except when they do like a random awards movie, like a, a Jordan Peele movie, maybe. But even even then, that's true. But like, what I mean. I mean, I wouldn't even say anyone that Jordan Peele's worked with is that, That's fair, is that yeah. A-list. Yeah. I mean, maybe Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o is close, but yeah. yeah no. I mean, Daniel Kaluuya, when they collaborated, certainly not an A-list I, actor. I would say next time out, whatever he does, we'll probably have a pretty good cast, but maybe not. It's up to him. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll have a really good cast, but I, I still would be surprised if it's just like littered with A-listers. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see. All right, Scott, the other piece of news to discuss here before we wrap things up is the news this week that broke that, and I didn't realize this, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm just like surprised that we hadn't heard anything about this until this past week, is this entire film that Sam Levinson, Zendaya, and John David Washington shot during quarantine. They went off in this like house set in the middle of nowhere. They followed really, I mean, they had very clearly, clearly laid out instructions for quarantine related stuff and social distancing on set and, and, you know, staying isolated in that way. And then they shot this film that sounds like it's a little bit like a marriage story type of movie about this sort of young black couple um, and, and how they're getting on in life and their existence. It's like, I don't know if they're, if, if the plot of the story is like a divorce related plot, it doesn't really seem that way to me, but it really is just about this relationship between a young black couple and, you know, the trials and tribulations and presumably highs as well that they go through. And I don't know about you, Scott, but Sam Levinson directing it, you know, collaborating with Zendaya, who I'm sure had a creative hand in this movie as well, just based off their relationship from Euphoria, and then throwing in John David Washington, who, yes, we haven't seen him yet in Tenet, but who I was a big fan of coming out of Black Klansman. Uh, this is like a pretty exciting project that actually happened in the last few months that 
you know, normally I don't think you'd be seeing this type of stuff happening during quarantine or you wouldn't yeah. expect it at least. Yeah, no, I mean, you said three really good names there that any, any one of which would get, you know, get me excited about a project. So, yeah. um, you know, th that alone I think is good, but also I'm just going to be interested to see like, the capabilities of, of, you know, what, what, how, how, what a movie looks like when you make it during quarantine and you're, you know, social distancing, doing all of these, uh, protocols. small cast, probably, probably yeah. just two or three people in the cast. But look, you know, we're talking up front about, we don't know when this whole thing is going to end. Right. And if people want to start making movies again, they may have to start thinking about ways to, you know, to, to maximize what they can do, um, you know, while still remaining safe and, and following all, you know, health guidelines and everything. And so this may be like a good experiment, a good, um, you know, example for, for them to look at and say, hey, it can be done. Um, maybe the movie's good, maybe it's not. But either way, I think it's going to be an interesting test case in uh, what, where can movies go from here if we're not out of the woods a year, two years from now? I mean, for me, I'm just surprised that they miscast Peter Parker with John David Washington and not Tom Holland. I'm just really confused by this casting. Cam Larson <laughs> directing an MCU movie would be something. Yeah, I mean, look, like the MCU is going to be going for a long time. I'm sure he'll have his shot at one point or another if he wants it. Drops in there, yeah. What'd you say? I said you. I said you'd have some great needle drops in there. True. I mean, look, that that's bound to happen, right? Like they're good. They're going to make it. Like. I don't know what the I don't know who the film is going to be a subject of or what film he would direct, but that's like almost certainly going to happen with like I don't know I, I can totally see him directing like a you know new Iron Man movie with Letitia Wright's Shuri as like Iron Man now right which is like a lot of the rumor when she was originally introduced. Hey, look, everyone gets to a superhero movie eventually. Even David Robert Mitchell is making one now. <laughs> <laughs> True, it sounds very different though. Amy Adams is not in the MCU. She's in the DCEU though. Charlize Theron's not in the MCU. Well, no one's in the MCU. Here's your fighter. Here's your Ronan isn't in the MCU. Florence Pugh is technically not yet in the MCU. Yeah. Well, she, she is, though, because that's we, we didn't really talk about that. But, you know, the, the baton has officially been passed to her. Like, it, well, it seems like any suspense about what this character was going to be. And, um, well, the it, title it, of Black Widow is being passed to her does not say she's going to be an Avenger. Yeah. No, that that's fair. But I mean, there were some people like who were thinking, "Oh, could she be Taskmaster or whatever?" Like, I, there were it's way some more. Characters. I don't think I don't think any of the people that we know in the movie yet is going to be Taskmaster. I mean, maybe we're wrong there, but the likeliest would be Rachel Vice, right? Like, that'd be yeah. But um, but yeah, there, there were theories about out out there about that. Is is all I mean? But yeah, with Kate Shortland, the director, now saying, "Yeah, she's going to be taking the mantle, whatever that means." We don't know yet, but interesting. Yeah, and weird to think what this character represents if she's taking the mantle if this is set before Endgame. Like, it's, it's a really weird thing there. I don't know. The fact that this movie has to be yeah, set where, before Endgame is kind of strange. all of this time, right? Like, that's going to be something they're going to have to answer. But look, yeah. they, they've had to answer those questions before and they've done it. To varying degrees of success, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Scott. I think that should do it for episode 101 of Some Like It, Scott. Do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Wear your mask, please. I uh, have to take this bar exam in 17 days, and I am very nervous, not just about the test, but about COVID and and all of that. So uh, please, you know, keep our, keep each other safe, care for each other. If you, you know, at the at the very least, if you don't care for other people, think about how much you want to watch like football in the fall and let that motivate you to do it. Yeah, I'm sure they'll all try to go. That's okay. They'll just go ahead and tailgate outside the stadium. Don't worry about that. Fair. Yeah. 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 It's it's just stupid that they are even trying to go forward under such insane conditions. Like there's really oh, yeah. not. I'm sure there'll be such a higher rate of failure of the bar exam than normal this year. Yeah. No, it's it's not going to be a good test of of competence in lawyers and like there's there's really such a little disadvantage to waiting three months and saying. Hey, either like let's try it again, or let's do an online exam, or let's just give everybody diploma privilege, right? Like I, I think that that is obviously the best result, but I think that they think that they're doing us a favor because like people want to start their jobs and stuff. But like if they would actually listen to us, they would see nobody wants to go forward with this right now. Everyone is really stressed out and worried about not not the test. Right? Like yes, the test, but that's normal, right? Like we knew we were going to have to take the test. It's all of this on top of it. And I yeah. think that a lot of the boomers on these bar associations are just like, well, we had to go through hell when we studied for the bar exam. So that means you had to do you. You should have to do it, too, as if our, this situation is, you know, equivalent at all to what 
they went through. But, you know, we're just a bunch of spoiled millennials, so what do we know? You're soft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Snowflakes. All right. Well, where can people find you on Twitter, Scott? I'll be at uh, at Scarvy Dent on Twitter, probably tweeting about this more and retweeting some diploma privilege accounts. So check me there. <laughs> awesome. And I can be found at Shelton2013 over on Twitter, where you can also find our podcast at, at Media Book Pods. Please subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the episode notes. And don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can't support us over on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Where we'd appreciate if you do all the things you do to help support us over there. Like, share, subscribe, all that jazz. And with that, I think that will wrap it up. We really appreciate all of you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode where Scott and I will be reviewing Palm Springs, the new neon movie released on Hulu starring Andy Samberg and featuring Scott's favorite movie gimmick, Groundhog Day, like live the day over and over again forever. TBD, whether this film is exactly the same as Love, Wedding, and Repeat, it could be. Tune in next week to find out if that is the case. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.